For eight weeks, we have been studying God give us Christian homes. There's such a wonderful thought about God giving us something based upon what he desires in our lives. And for those of you who are like myself, you've enjoyed the privilege of having godly parents, you ought to be truly thankful. I know that I myself am consider self-privileged to have had a good godly mother and father, to have my paternal grandfather serve as an elder for many years in a local congregation, my grandmother feeding I don't know how many preachers, all of them to make sure that they were well cared for. Godly parents is a real blessing. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, we learn about Moses. When he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and because they were not afraid of the king's command. If you have parents who put your best interest first, if you have parents who love God more than they are concerned about the secular world, you are a blessed person. Good parents provide for our physical necessities. The food we eat, the roof over our head, the clothes that we wear, the necessities of life. Good parents see that we have those things. But good godly parents also see that we have the spiritual things that we need as well. Here's what I would like for us to accomplish in our lesson. Very briefly, I would like for us to look at godly mothers. What a privilege it is to have a godly mother. Number two, I want us to look at godly fathers very briefly as well. What does the Bible picture about good godly fathers? Then to turn and look at a godly family where we see the working together of not only mothers and fathers, but them working together and even grandparents working in harmony with them. So that children are reared as God would have them to be reared. And then the good part of our lesson. And that is some godly principles for parenting. What God wants us to do to rear good godly children. So that we will have godly homes. Let's focus for just a few minutes on godly mothers. There's a phrase that I remember hearing as a very young man. And that is. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Never discount the great value of a good mother. A good mother has those tender years in which the child begins to form who and what they will be. And that mother is able because of the way she instills those values to influence and set the pattern for life. For that child. We can read in such passages as 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Chapter 3 verses 13 through 15. About Timothy's own godly mother and grandmother. If you will, let's focus on those verses for just a moment. Paul said, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois. And in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in you also. 
As you go to chapter 3 and Paul reflects upon the rearing that Timothy got, he said, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through our faith which is in Christ Jesus. I want you to think for just a moment about the grandmother Lois. All we know about this good woman is found here in this passage. But we know that that great faith dwelt first in her. Perhaps she was the only one Paul had full knowledge of. It may have dwelt in those before her. But he said, I know I can go back and look in your grandmother Lois was a good, godly woman who instilled the faith in her daughter, Eunice. But then Eunice took that great faith and she made it her own. She learned from her mother those godly principles, the teachings of the Old Testament, the great things that it takes to be a good woman, and she instilled those in Eunice. Eunice then takes her son, Timothy, and she passes it down. It's generational. You know, there's some things that families do pass down. Sometimes there are traditions. Sometimes it's talents. Sometimes it's here's how you do something. I know that there are some women that I have known were great cooks. They trained their daughters to be great cooks. They trained their granddaughters to be great cooks. Oh, you see the, the passing of down. But when you think about good mothers, good mothers think about, I want to train my daughter to be a good woman. I want to train my son to be a good man and pass it on. I think in Paul's reference in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, he reflects the attitude toward them that good mothers have. He says, but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Mothers are special. They have a tenderness that is a part of their character. They're not as gruff as dads are. Dads sometimes get over it, boy. Get over it, girl. But mothers have that tender and sweet hand, that loving hand that is able to provide. Now let's talk about godly fathers. Fathers should take their role as the head of the house very seriously. God gave them a responsibility. God gave them a role. And if I go to passages like Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, Colossians 3 and verse 21, there we read, and you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The parallel passage found in Colossians 3 verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Godly fathers recognize it is their role to be the guiding hand in a family. They're the ones to make sure that their children are taught. 
I could spend a little bit of time in the book of Galatians talking about the father and the tutors, but let me just focus at this point on the fact that fathers have a very difficult task. There is a sense in which fathers are to be the disciplinarians. And yet being a disciplinarian has with it a lot of challenges. You don't want to overdo it, nor do you want to underdo it. You don't want to overdo it, as he reflects here, lest you provoke your children to anger, to wrath. You have a child that you overdo it to where the child becomes angry and rebellious. Or you do it to the point where they become so discouraged that they say, why try anymore? Godly fathers, guiding hands. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, Paul would say, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there that a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, then you have become uh, partakers. Then you are illegitimate, illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness in those who've been trained by it. What is he talking about? We've had human fathers. They disciplined us. Why did they do so? Because they loved us. They cared for us. They wanted to make us better people. We need fathers who will teach their sons to worship as carefully and as fully as they train their sons to hunt and to fish. I visualize here's a man taking his son out to the lake or out to the river. And he says, son, here, let me show you how you fish. Here's how you bait your hook. Here's how you set that hook in that fish's mouth. Here's how you really mend. Here's what you do. And everybody says, oh, that's been a good dad. Training his son how to fish. But let me tell you, fathers, It's your role to see that your children are taught the truth of the gospel. In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5, we read, And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. The lad and I will go yonder to worship. You want to be a good, godly father? Take your children to worship. Make sure that you show them how to worship God and that you worship God. You must know that Isaac looked back to that event on Mount Moriah when his father drew back his hand because he trusted God. And there they went to worship God. Let's talk about a godly family for just a few moments. You see, it's not as if you've got a godly mother and then a godly father and then somehow they're so separate and distinct. They work together. 
It is their goal to raise godly children together. Perhaps the best illustration that can be found is in Luke chapter 2, where Mary and Joseph are involved in the rearing of Jesus as a young boy. I want you to listen to chapter 2, verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Now pause with me for just a moment. I want to not overlook the importance of that verse. Under the Old Testament requirements, every Jewish man had to go to Jerusalem three times in a year. They had to go at the feast of Pentecost, the feast of Passover, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Ingathering. And during those three feasts, those Jewish men would go every year. But I want you to notice, once a year, the whole family went. It's at the Feast of Passover. This is an obligated event, but everybody's going to be there. You want to be good parents working together? Mom and dad, you want to raise godly children? When it comes Sunday morning and it comes time to go to worship, you load your car, your wagon, or your feet, and you make your way toward the church building to assemble with the saints. Because that's a part of God's plan. Hebrews 10, 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the custom of some. Godly parents make it a part of their lifestyle. I'm going to tell you, when I grew up, I never had to wonder on Sunday morning, which our services started at 10 for Bible class, 11 was worship. I never had to wonder whether or not we were going to church. That was just a part of who we were. That was a part of our life. On Sunday evening, I never had to wonder whether or not at 6 p.m. in the summertime and at 5 p.m. in the wintertime where we were going to go to worship. We went to worship. That's a part of who we were. I never had to wonder on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock where we were going to be. We were going to be in Bible study. You know why? Because I had godly parents. Because they wanted a son and a daughter who when they got old would still respect God. But I want you to drop down and look at verses 51 and 52. Then he, that is Jesus, went down with them, that's Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. After returning from that event when Jesus was about 12 years old, having spent some time in conversation with the lawyers and those who were the uh, scribes of the law, and Jesus saying, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? They return back and Jesus is subject to them. Here's the son of God, but what does he do? He subjects himself to Mary and Joseph. That kind of respect in the family brings about children who will grow and prosper. We learn that he increased in wisdom and stature. Jesus grew physically. He grew in his intellect among people. But then it says he grew in favor with God and man. 
Jesus, like a child, as a child, grew spiritually, physically, and socially, and mentally. There are generational influences that should not be overlooked either. There's a role for not only mom and dad working together as parents. Won't you listen to Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 8. As Paul is trying to instruct Titus about here are things that you're going to need to teach. And he says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love. Impatience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Listen carefully now, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. That the word of God be not blasphemed. Likewise exhort the young men to be sober minded in all things showing yourself a pattern of good works. In doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is of the opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. You've got... Older men, you've got older women, you've got younger women, you've got younger men. And each of them have their role in a family, an older brother or an older sister can provide direction and guidance to a younger brother or sister. Grandparents. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6. Children's children are the crown of old men. You want to see the silliness of an old man? Ask him about his grandchildren. There is a time, there is a place for moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and for everybody to see that this child is reared as God would have them to be reared. Now for just a few minutes, I'd like to talk about some godly principles found in various places in the Bible, mostly in the New Testament, since that's what we're reflecting on. And the first one is, guard your children from evil influences. I don't think there's a person in here who would not say that we are living in an ungodly world. There's evil on every hand. And if you want to be a good godly parent, you will protect and you will guard your children from these evil influences. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Solomon puts it very plainly in Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, verse 20. He who walks with wise will be wise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. 
I'm going to tell you my own observation. Many of us who started in first grade together in Vernon, Alabama, were people who were all on the same socioeconomic status. We were all just poor rural people. But as life went along and as age went after age, you knew about fifth or sixth grade there were some people who started being in trouble all the time. As you got to seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, you started noticing kids who were getting not just in trouble with the teacher, but they were getting in trouble at school and away from school. As you got to senior high, you noticed those who were getting in trouble with the law. Somewhere back early, and you, you started saying, I don't want my kids hanging out with these kids. You know why? Because they're being a bad influence on them. That's the reason why Solomon in Proverbs twelve twenty six says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. And what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, evil company corrupts good habits. You let children hang around with kids who have no respect for mom and dad, who have no respect for God, who have no respect for the law, and guess what's going to happen to your children? Mom and dad, you need to know who your children's friends are. And if they are the kind that is making your child go in a wrong direction, you need to intervene. You need to guard your children. You need to make sure that they associate with good children. Psalm 101 and verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. You think about wicked before your eyes. Think about what your children are exposed to. The truth is most of television is garbage. Most of what's on the television involves all kinds of immoral behavior, immoral language. And it pervades not only the television shows, but it pervades the video games. It pervades the music. You as a parent have a right and a responsibility to guard your children from evil influences. And mom and dad, it's all right to say no. In fact, it's not only all right, it's what you ought to be doing to guard your children from evil influences. But I don't intend to just be negative. We ought to be providing positive influences for our children. It's important to show our children that you can be happy, that you can be content, and you can be godly at the same time. The devil wants you to believe the only way you can have fun is by doing evil. Listen to Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is any praise, 
Meditate. Older translation, think on these things. Your children's mind are not going to exist in a vacuum. You're either going to fill them with bad things or you're going to fill them with good things. And what do you choose? Choose to fill their minds with good, pleasant, happy things. There's one verse I don't want you to forget out of this lesson. It's Romans 12, verse 21. This is an important verse that relates to these godly principles. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What he's saying is you don't let evil take over you, but the way that you overcome evil is not by trying to fight evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Something positive. Something righteous. Number three, educate your children in spiritual things. I tried to confine this mostly to New Testament passages, but when we went through the Old Testament, we did not focus on Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 8, talks about how to educate your children in spiritual things. Sometimes we think the only way to do that is when we gather together and we have a sermon. Or when we break up after worship and we go to our Bible classes and we have our children taught in spiritual things. Folks, mama and daddy have to teach children spiritual things every day of life and you do so as you're going through life. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. When you are going about your everyday task of life, you can train your children. Kids, here's how you're honest. You're walking in the bank and you're, you notice that somebody's coming out and they drop an envelope full of cash. Do you go over and grab it and say, boy, look what we found. This is ours. Or do you take it in and say, this doesn't belong to us. This is someone else. That's a teaching moment. And you ought to have them every day as you rear your children. Correct your children with love. In Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him properly. You can discipline without love, but you can't love without disciplining. You love your child, you want your child to grow up and be something good, then you love them enough to correct them. You love them enough to let them know that you're correcting them out of love. Next, be a godly role model for your children. We can talk about role models all day. We can talk about the sports figures. We can talk about the musical artists that sometimes people want to grow up and be like, but you know who has the greatest influence on your children, you do. 
It won't be long they'll be saying the same things that you say, talking the way that you talk, and living the way that you live. Would you want your children to grow up and be just like you? Now, I want you to think about that. If you don't want your children to grow up and be just like you, you better change you. In John, the third John, verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. And then verse 1 of chapter 11, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Your life should be modeling Jesus and others should be able to model you because of that as well. Parenting is not easy. I would imagine that every parent in here would say, I can tell you about a number of mistakes I have made. Every one of us can do that. But it's made much simpler if you and I will take the manual that God has provided us, His Word, and we'll let it be our guide. And God doesn't want the worst for us. It's like John 10, verse 10. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. God is not telling us, do this so that you'll be sad, you'll miss all the fun of life. He's telling us what we need to know. Here's where we're going to end. You begin by being a Christian. A Christian. What's that? That's a person who has heard God's message, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. From that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, John 8, 24. Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. You repent of your sins, Luke chapter 13, 3 and 5. He says, I tell you, no, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Acts 2, verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You confess your faith in him. Acts 8, verse 37, the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then you are baptized, that is, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Mark 16, and verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Then you walk, live faithfully the Christian life every day. Hebrews 11 or 10 and verse 36. For you have need of patience that having done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You keep doing it day by day. What are you going to do? We're going to sing the song, prepare to meet thy God. Are you prepared? If you are not prepared because you're not a Christian, please come forward this morning. Be baptized. If you're not prepared to meet God and you're a Christian, you need to let's pray with you as we together stand and sing.